If you want 2024 to be your best running year, it is essential you have a customized training plan tailored to your race schedule and ability level. That's why I'm pumped to have Motive sponsoring the podcast. You can use the app for free, but if you want two months of premium access, you can use code SMARTER2. Sign up at mymotive.com. The link will be in the show notes. On today's episode, what you need to know about compartment syndrome. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Okay, diving into another episode. Uh, I have just returned from holidays. It might have not seemed that way from your perspective because I scheduled out all my episodes and all my social media posts while I was gone for about two weeks. And um, yeah, so got back yesterday and I feel refreshed. I'm excited to keep um, producing more of these episodes. I've got a few more interviews lined up the next couple of weeks, which I'm super excited about. I'll learn a whole bunch of like new things preparing for these guests that I have on and obviously we'll learn more once they are on to record the episode. Um, before we get started, a update on my foot. I know a lot of people on social media are reaching out and being like, oh Brody, how's your foot going? So thank you for caring. Um, thank you for sending your heartfelt messages. I no longer have any issues with the foot. Um, it's It just got better. Like I think the last time I reported about it, I said that it was improving. I was building up my mileage and it was all responding quite well. I now have no restrictions when it comes to running due to the foot. I um, I'm a- I actually don't have any issues going on at the moment. I do know that I want to start sharing how I'm implementing these principles and what we are currently learning in my everyday life. And um, I thought I'd share one that I had while I was away. So me and my girlfriend, we traveled um, to kind of like the east coast of Victoria and we worked our way up the east um, border of Australia up to Batemans Bay in New South Wales. Then we worked our way in to visit uh, friends in Canberra, then attended a wedding in Rutherglen, which is like at um, the border, the Victorian border, and then we made our way back. Um, Checking out a lot of beaches, doing a lot of walking and a lot of driving as well. Uh, I started getting a little bit of plantar fascia symptoms or plantar fasciitis symptoms, which I've had that in the past. Um, Just a fair bit of walking, getting out of the car, just felt a little grab every now and then. And then there was just one morning about a week into our trip where it was noticeably tight with my first steps of the morning. And straight away, I know this is like the fascia 
getting overloaded, being irritated because I know that it's characteristically the first steps in the morning is when I feel it's right under the heel, classic signs of fasciitis. Um, so told my girlfriend, look, my, my foot's a little bit irritable this morning. It's the first real signs I've had for a while. Um, which makes sense because I was doing a lot of walking, a lot of kind of hiking sort of stuff. And the day before we did the hikes and then we went for a run together, we did about 5k run. So the combination of a bunch of those things woke up the next morning and my body let me know about it. So these are the smart decisions I've made. So day one, um, when I woke up and felt those symptoms, that day was a relative rest day. The footwear that I wore um, was protective anyway, so I would definitely avoid barefoot walking, um, put on more supportive shoes, and I just limit my walking that day. Um, I reduced my walking speed. Um, If I was going up steps, like up a a bunch of stairs, um, I decided to like push off my heel rather than my toes. And that's just me knowing like the mechanics of my body. Um, It would just load up the fascia a lot if I was on my toes going up the stairs and on my heels going up the stairs, if that makes any sense. But that was just the first day, relative rest. Um, By day two, woke up the next morning and didn't notice any symptoms at all. Uh, Thought that would be a great idea to start uh, doing some slow, heavy work uh, on the fascia just to show them who's boss and make sure that I do know that fascia and tendons and things respond really well to slow and heavy load. And thankfully, um, during my two-week trip, I brought my 16 kilo kettlebell so I can still do my strength work, um, still do a lot of squats, lunges, single leg deadlifts while I was away and use that kettlebell to do some single leg calf raises, especially with some toe extension. So with a towel or something I could find that I put under my toes. So the toes are pointing up towards the ceiling as I go up into a calf raise to load the fascia. So I did maybe three sets of 10 each side, just really slow and controlled and Again, that day was um, relative rest. It wasn't a large walking day anyway. It was more of a driving day for us. So that worked out well. Day three, again, symptoms were fine. Went back to walking without restrictions. And then by day four, because I was fine as, as well, did some walking and did a little bit of running just to test it out and currently no issues. And so um, they're the smart decisions I made from day one, um, day two, day three, etc. And uh, just know if I was to ignore it, if that day one was another excessive day, it'd be pretty bad day two. Um, And then, yeah, I think it could easily get out of hand if I wasn't on the front foot and if I wasn't being proactive day one, day two. So um, just an example of a few things that I'm doing to help keep a lot of these injuries at bay, um, which is what this podcast is all about. So currently no issues. I did an 8K run uh, a really slow AK run in a little town called Batlow. It's a small like country town where they grow a lot of apples and that was fine. My fascia was fine after that. So um, yeah, that's my experience. Uh, we are delving today into compartment syndrome, which is a running related condition that I haven't talked about yet. So thought I'd chuck an episode on it. Um, I have had a little bit of experience with compartment syndrome, especially in the first a couple of years of me running, uh, preparing for my first marathon, I definitely had it, especially in winter, um, which just resolved and hasn't come back since. I think my body's just got used to the amount of running that I'm doing. Um, but let's talk about what it is, uh, just to clarify. 
Um, if you were to Google it, which I did, there's a lot of different labels, a lot of different names for the one condition. Um, so you have compartment syndrome, which is the one I prefer to use. There's exercise induced lower leg pain. So lower leg being like the, the calf, shin, that part of your leg, the shank part of your leg and exercise induced, meaning that exercise brings it on. Uh, exertional lower leg pain, which is very similar to what we said above. Um, chronic exertional compartment syndrome, all these sort of things just mean the same thing, just means compartment syndrome. And what are we referring to? Um, because you could be having these symptoms and not even know. You might think it is a pain, you might think it's an injury, you might think it's just worth ignoring, but without knowing exactly what it is. Before, I think the first step is to know the anatomy. And if you think about your calf and you think about your shin, that part of your leg, there are certain sleeves, certain, um, you have, you obviously have a whole bunch of different muscles in that part of the leg, but it's sectioned off into different compartments. And you have like the front compartment, which is more like to do with the shin. You have the back compartment, which is more to do with the calf. Um, you do have an outside compartment, like it's what we call the lateral or towards the outside um, of the of the calf. And they're sectioned off into these like sleeves. Think of like a... Um, like a sausage, you know, how they, they, they've got all the meat and stuff in the middle, all the mince, but then it has a sleeve surrounding it. Um, if you can imagine that sleeve just doesn't have a lot of flexibility, it doesn't have a lot of stretch, whereas muscle does, um, and it has a lot of room to wiggle within that sleeve. But if it gets to a certain pressure, a certain buildup where you pack a lot of content into that sausage, the, um, the sleeve itself just has no give. It doesn't have any stretch. It's very similar in the calf. You do have room to move, but once you build up the pressure enough that it starts to press on that sleeve or what we call the fascia, it just doesn't comply. It just won't stretch out and become big. And so the pressure starts to build up and hence this compartment syndrome. And so another thing that we need to consider is that within each of these sleeves, you obviously have muscle, but you also have veins, you have nerves, you have arteries. So the veins and nerves are sort of um, responsible for blood flow, blood flow to go in and out and transfer, uh, transport the blood around the body. And you also have the nerves that conduct, obviously we know what nerves do, but they just conduct those signals to the rest of the muscles. So if we can imagine that sort of anatomy, now we sort of delve into what happens mechanically when you start running and we start having this exercise induced pain. So you start you aren't a template, so your training shouldn't be either. The Motive app takes training plans written by the best coaches in the world, then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. It's such a good idea, which is why it is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world and has thousands of age group athletes signing up every month with a near perfect 4.9 star rating. It will even plan triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, and other events if you're branching away from running races. You can use the app for free for as long as you want, with the premium access being just $19.99 per month. But if you use code SMARTER2, you can get two months of full premium access. Sign up through their website, mymotive.com, and make 2024 your best year yet. Running, if you go from with minimal warm-up and to start running, the demand, like there's more oxygen required, there's more blood that's needed to go to the legs because that's what's driving all the power. 
And so the body does the magnificent thing of increasing your heart rate, increasing the blood vessels that the blood vessels dilate. So more blood goes to the muscles that are working. And as a result, the compartments start to build up pressure. Those muscles become slightly bigger because there's more muscle going to them. There's more demand. And so pressure starts to build up within a certain compartment. This is normal. It's totally healthy. It's just what needs to happen. Because the fascia is housing these organs and that fascia is non-compliant, it doesn't want to stretch, the pressure continues to build within that compartment as you continue to run, as you continue to build up the intensity or the speed, that sort of thing. And so uh, if it gets to a point where it starts to increase pressure too much, there's kind of like a spectrum of symptoms that will start to occur. Um, so the on the low side of symptoms, as that pressure starts to build up, we're looking at um, a slow shutoff of the blood supply. So we're looking at what we call ischemia, which is like the suppression of blood. And that can start to produce like an ache, like a really mild soreness, a really mild, yeah, I guess you could say ache. But then if you continue to run on it and the the pressure continues to build up and that pressure increases, the symptoms become a little bit more severe. So we're getting more of a shortage in oxygen and glucose, which um, the body needs to function. And so there becomes more pain, this increased tightness, this constricting type of pain. And then if you can imagine all these blood vessels and nerves, like I was talking about before, if it gets, if the buildup becomes so much, actually like can build up and build up so that the the veins and the arteries can no longer pump blood there's just not enough space there's not enough room for them to function and similar to the nerve if there's enough compression built up around the nerve it can no longer conduct the messages like it used to and so you get things like pins and needles you get distal numbness like in the foot Um, you can even have muscle inhibition so a foot drop so you're unable to lift your toes up towards the ceiling, that kind of action. Uh, And then once exercise stops or slows down, hopefully the body does its natural thing of just um, reducing that demand and then pressure within that compartment starts to equalize. And so that's the general buildup of what this um, condition is. And it can follow very uh, very unique set of characteristics. And so... um, you shouldn't really run through this pain because it can get very serious. The pressure and buildup can become quite severe and can actually start causing a lot of damage and sometimes permanent damage if the um, if the blood vessels and if the nerves um, go to extreme amounts of um, severity. So we do need to be careful if it's very rare that it gets so severe, especially with recreational runners, um, but it, it can happen. So the behavior... Uh, of the symptoms now that we know kind of the the anatomy and the physiology and like how it all works it would start to make sense in terms of like how the activity behaves comparing it to other pain or other injuries so we know that like if you start running we know that a tendinopathy has this initial warm-up effect Uh, we know that if you're in the early stages of an achilles or plantar fascia or say a patellar tendinopathy it's a little bit sore for the first couple of minutes. Once you warm up, symptoms ease off. Um, doesn't necessarily get to pain-free in some cases, but the symptoms definitely have this warm effect. And then we have 
like a hangover effect the next day. You know, once you've um, settled down, had a night's sleep, you wake up the next morning, that's when it's usually more sore. Um, so that's the characteristics of a tendon issue. So we know that this particular pattern doesn't suit um, compartment syndrome. Um, shin splints, like shin splints are definitely in that location because you can have this in anterior compartment syndrome, which is directly around the shin. So you're like, is it going to be shin splints or is it this compartment syndrome? We do know that shin splints do have a general warm-up effect um, similar to tendons. Um, we know that it's in this um, on the outside border of the shin, like as it connects onto the bone, that bony border can be very tender, whereas compartment syndrome is more the entire muscle itself. It's really hard to locate, but um, yeah, we can kind of rule it out with a couple of questions and working out its characteristics and doing a few tests. A stress fracture is another one that's in this shin area. So a stress fracture, we have symptoms that will increase steadily throughout the run. So it actually gets worse and worse and worse throughout the run. So it actually mimics what we might expect with compartment syndrome. Um, and it can, in the initial phases of a stress fracture, symptoms can settle quickly after exercise. Um, but there's with a stress fracture, there's no symptoms of pins and needles or weakness or this muscle inhibition. So if there is ever any pins and needles or numbness, weakness, that sort of thing, it's most likely going to be a compartment syndrome rather than a stress fracture. Uh, stress fractures are usually quite localized as well. Like in that part of the bone that's going, that stress reaction, it is quite localized. Like I said, compartment syndrome tends to be a bit more widespread. Um, so yeah, compartment syndrome, I have this written down. <laughs> Similar to the stress fracture with without the history. So a stress fracture will have a history of like overload or poor nutrition, all those red S signs that we've done episodes about. Um, in most cases, it will settle quickly once you've warmed up. Similar to what I've talked about, like the um, once you've warmed up, once you go for a run and you start to build up the intensity, the pain and symptoms start to slowly come on. It gets worse and worse and worse unless you back off the intensity or if you have a relative rest, it should return to um, baseline. It should return to symptom-free relatively quickly. Um, in some cases, that's enough. Sometimes that's enough. You go with your run, the body's done a good job, of, a good enough job of warming up and symptoms don't come back. However, if it's more severe, once you stop, symptoms subside. As soon as you run again, that the symptoms slowly start to pick up again till it becomes too much and you need to rest again. Um, and so that's the characteristics of a compartment syndrome. And that's how we can kind of differentiate um, between shin splints and stress fractures because they're all in that same area. But you do need a health professional to help um, directly or accurately interpret the, the, the three. Um, and then we have DVT, which is almost like a blood clot. It's uh, can happen in the calf or higher up in the leg and can start to produce like this widespread pressure, buildup, soreness, um, which can almost mimic compartment syndrome, except DVT, this like deep vein thrombosis is what it stands for. And other, a, a lot of other, these blood clot kind of issues um, they do have, they can have a past history of long flights. So like being inactive for a long period of time, periods of bed rest, like if they're in hospital, they've had a couple of days hospital stay. Um, this will usually 
present also with a very widespread um, swelling or redness, um, like just, yeah, edema, this like thickening around the whole entire leg, especially in the foot as well, which we don't see with compartment syndrome, but that needs to be assessed. And um, if it is assessed, it needs to be taken very, very seriously um, because there can be very serious consequences. But it's rare, especially with runners, especially if you haven't had a past history of inactivity, long-haul flights, those sort of things, then, um, yeah, it, it, it's more likely to be something else. Okay, so we, we understand that. We understand the, the mechanics, the anatomy, the characteristics. Um, what are some risk factors, I guess, people wanting to know, am I going to be at risk of this happening to me? Um, following Simon Bartold and his work, which who I've had on the podcast before, uh, he talks about it's mainly just mechanical overload based on how you run, based on your um, like your training kind of history or your training beliefs. Um, the harder those muscles are going to work, if it's too high of a demand, then the pressure will start to build up. And it would depend on technique. It, like I said, it will depend on your training if you are one to increase the intensity too quickly. Um, if you don't have that heart rate slowly warming up, if you don't have a gentle jog before you go into sprints, for example, um, if you do hills too soon before the body's ready, um, but also depending on, say, your uh, running technique. So, for example, if you are a heel striker, when people contact the ground with the heel, their toes could be pointing up towards the ceiling quite a lot, or it could be quite, um, or it could be less. So the more your toes are pointing up towards the ceiling when your foot first makes contact with the ground, that's increasing the demand of the muscles in the front of the shin. So increasing the demand of the muscles increases the pressure within that compartment. And so if the toes are quite high compared to others, then the muscle during that swing phase is working harder to point those toes up. But then when you contact the ground, those muscles also eccentrically work to lower or gently lower that foot down to put um, to put the entire foot on the ground. So the foot doesn't really slam into the ground. It slowly controls it down onto the ground. So the muscle in the front of the shin is working in both of those phases. Compared to someone to say who is a midfoot strike or a forefoot strike, they're not really using their shin muscles at all, or well, not a lot to lift up their toes and so there's different demands for different runners. And if we're looking at, say, someone who's a four-foot runner, they're technically increasing the demand of their calf complex, that sleeve, that compartment that's in the calf component. Um, so it will depend on the type of runner. And when I follow Tom Goom a lot, and he put that um, the anterior compartment, so that shin area of the leg, is most commonly affected accounting for around 45% of cases and the deep posterior compartment which is like the deep muscles of the calf is the second most common area of around 40% of run or 40% of presenting cases so you have 45% at the front of the shin 40% around the calf if someone does have compartment syndrome this is where they tend to fall uh, in the past this condition has proven difficult to treat conservatively uh, as patients commonly underwent surgical decompression for the, um, what they do is they actually get the sleeve. So they get that, um, that non-compliant sleeve that's over the sausage and actually cut it. They do this fashionotomy. So they decrease the pressure that way. Um, but 
evidence is emerging to help runners conservatively so they don't need this surgery. They actually just need uh, some non-surgical interventions, which can be quite helpful. And there's evidence emerging uh, associated with that. So let's talk about treatment. Um, I will start with the anterior compartment, so that shin uh, part of the leg. You're dealing with four muscles. I don't really necessarily need to go into all of them, but there's four muscles within this sleeve, within this compartment. There's also this tibial artery and the deep perineal nerve. So these are the, the nerves and arteries that we need to be aware of. Symptoms are usually felt in the shin, in the, the tib ant, this muscle belly, which is just the main muscle that's at the front of the shin. There may be weakness with dorsiflexion, so lifting up the foot. Like we said, if the nerve starts to be impacted, we can get this muscle inhibition. If the nerve is affected, there's also pins and needles and numbness at the top of the foot and in the first web space of your foot, so between your big toe and your second toe. In severe cases, um, all power of dorsiflexion, so lifting those toes up, may be lost, and yeah, that foot drop can start developing. And we have um, some really nice studies to look at treatment for this, um, particularly around gait re-education, like changing how you're running. So if there is um, this excessive buildup, the excessive activity of the shin muscles, what we can do is some retraining. And I found a study um, by Breen et al. in 2015. It was quite a small study, but they got 10 males who have this anterior compartment syndrome and they underwent this gait retraining, so changing how they're running over a six-week period. And then they followed them over the course of a year after this six-week intervention to see how they were going. And they did clear them of shin splints and they did clear them of stress fractures with MRIs. So they made sure that who they had in their group actually did have compartment syndrome. And they found a couple of things. With these 10 people who do have anterior compartment syndrome, they found that they were mainly overstriders. So when the foot first makes contact with the ground, it is quite far in front of their body compared to like another runner. And they also elicited quite a high dorsiflexion. So what we we're talking about before the toes at that initial contact, the toes were pointed up quite high towards the ceiling. And so very simplistically, they just use some cues to do some gait retraining uh, to reduce that dorsiflexion so that their toes weren't as high up and that maybe they cued them to land more with the midfoot. Um, they played around with maybe increasing their cadence, maybe um, having their torso a bit more upright. And they just try to really minimalize how they're running. So don't try any drastic changes. Just try to make these really subtle changes for the individual to help them reduce that amount of dorsiflexion. And so those gait retraining sessions, there was about three of them that went for about 60 minute sessions over the period of six weeks. And then they just got them to do that and then just followed them. Oh, they also gave them like a walk run interval program. So got them to talk about it's okay to take breaks. It's okay to do walks in between your running and then just gave them this slow build up which started off as a walk-run program and then just slowly built up their mileage from there. Um, and like I said, care was taken to make sure that the changes in their running wasn't too drastic because only this is real minimal change. And so what happened? So eight out of the 10 runners were pain-free after the year um, and with running over 30 minutes. So after 30 minutes of running, eight out of 10 of these people 
um, were pain-free. And the other two had significant increases in their running distance before the symptom onset. So like I said, very small cohort, but they managed to have quite significant um, results. So in this cohort, all subjects showed an improvement in their pain-free running tolerance and around 70% of the subjects were running entirely symptom-free post-treatment. So just doing some simple gait re-education and just giving them a real simple return-to-run interval training program. And yeah, they saw pretty tremendous results, I'd say. Um, so that's what we do with the shin, the front compartment. Um, I now want to talk about the posterior compartment, which is more to do with the calf side of the leg. Um, but there's not a lot of evidence that I've found that's um, shown to be effective, or there's just no evidence at all that I've found. But in various, very similar circumstances, so your calf component does have like your soleus, your um, gastrocnemius, a, a few others, and they do have some, um, like say the posterior tibial nerve. Um, they do have some arteries, obviously, uh, but if the symptoms do get quite severe, the pins and needles, the pins and needles are, and the numbness is around about the sole of the foot. Um, and there, there can be weakness with toe flexion. So like curling the toes. Um, so those sort of symptoms and the, like based on what I know about compartment syndrome. So I'm just going to um, bring forth my ideas around what would be some good interventions. So one would just be gait retraining. We know with the shin compartment syndrome, gait retraining works really well because we're reducing the demand, we're reducing that overload on the body. Um, and so we can do gait retraining for runners. So if someone is got have, having compartment syndrome in the back of the leg, and let's just say they are a forefoot runner, maybe we change them to a midfoot. Maybe we increase their cadence. Maybe we try and take their, maybe we increase their heel drop in their shoe and we try and just reduce the demand of the calf while they're running. And then we give them that uh, walk run interval program. We do exactly that, the same thing. It should have the same effect theoretically, but I haven't looked at science. Um, I've seen in the past, it's worked really well. Some other evidence around um, terrain. So if they go to hills, we know that if you go uphill, increases the demand of the calf. So making sure they're not doing hills too early in their run, making sure they're not going up the hills too quickly, too early in their run. And we're just allowing the time for that body to maintain that equilibrium of pressure before you just dive straight into it. Um, like I said, shoes maybe might be a good intervention with a greater heel drop. So we're taking that demand away from the calf. Um, they're just my some ideas for me. Um, but when it comes to both, or any compartment syndrome in the lower leg, um, there are some other interventions that we can do. Apparently ice has been good to reduce symptoms if they are symptomatic. Um, stretches, just doing some really light stretches has been shown to reduce symptoms. Um, I think that's particularly because you're just reducing the amount of running. So if you go for, um, if you start to warm up and then you do some stretches and then you get halfway through your run. If you do some more stretches after you run, if you do some more stretches, you're just allowing time to break up and reduce that amount of build up time. Massage can be effective. Apparently, um, orthotics can also be effective. Apparently, uh, like I said, a proper warm up, a uh, walk, jog start can be really nice to allow the body to warm up and to start to 
maintain that equilibrium rather than just a really intense start of just a really big buildup. Um, and activity modification, just in any way, like talk to your health professional, talk to your running coach of ways we can um, lessen the demand of that muscle and get it more time to switch off um, during like a switch off phase. And like I said, if you have, let's just say your toes pointing quite up, quite high up during the swing phase and during that first contact, it's just less time during that running cycle that that muscle is switched off. And so if there's some way we can modify some way we can change how you're running so that it switches off for longer then we're not building up that demand quickly and can help like either have you run further with less symptoms or just reduce the the build up altogether okay so a bit of a recap um so based on the anatomy we have certain muscles within the calf within that part of the leg um that has several like several compartments that all contain different muscles, different nerves, arteries, veins. And if the pressure within that compartment builds up too much, you start producing these symptoms. It's like a slow buildup of pressure, tightness, soreness, that then eventually graduates into pins and needles, numbness, foot inhibition, those sort of things. Um, And that's similar to like the characteristics of this compartment syndrome. Some risk factors would just be mechanical overload, just using that part of the foot that component just too much and it's just building up too much the demand is too high for the body just to balance out the um, pressures in each of those compartments and like we said can be really effective with some gait retraining if this is you if you feel like these symptoms are you try breaking up with some running uh, try breaking up the running with some walking try some light stretches maybe try some massage and then just talk with your health professional, talk with your running coach if there are ways you can just modify your running technique and then just see how you go. I think that's um, a really nice way of summing it up. I think um, the actual condition of compartment syndrome, quite hard to understand through an audio format, but hopefully we've done a good job of getting that across and maybe you've got these sort of symptoms, you're not too sure what they are because they go away. I think with me, why I started getting it to start with was one, my muscles weren't really equipped for endurance running, but two, during winter, I feel like my muscles just were, or my leg was just too cold or too non-compliant. And so when I went straight into a run, I started to get this really like nagging kind of um, symptoms. And all I did was run for about 4k until that build up of pressure um, was a bit too much. And then I just walked a fair bit, waited for those pins and needles or those that achiness to settle down. Then I just went for a run. I was totally fine after that. Um, so that that's sort of my experience. And I found just breaking it up, breaking up into the walking was really effective. So hopefully that's effective for you. Obviously, if it doesn't, um, you'll need to get it assessed properly because we do know that stress fractures and um, DVTs and shin splints are a totally different condition that are in the same area that we need to get checked out. Um, but yeah, hopefully you found this informative. Hopefully it um, can help you if you're going through these sort of symptoms. That's all for me today. Like I said, I'm excited to interview these um, guests that I have lined up in the next couple of weeks. So looking forward to bringing you those and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. 
This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs, and ebooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get Inner Circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalogue of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic, where I assess and treat runners from all over the world, so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.